being recorded? Just CDs that people can buy. Okay, she's okay. Yep. Wonderful. I'll time you and I'll just wait when you get. Do you want like Perfect. five and twenty or fifteen and twenty? Five is good. Okay. Or, yeah, if ten. Whatever. I'll give you five minutes. Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly. Thank you to Abel for inviting me to be with you today. Well, welcome to our newcomer. Glad you're here. Um, so I'm here to share my experience, strength, and hope in Al-Anon. I came in a little bit of a different way. I came in actually through the rooms of Alateen. Anybody here familiar with Alateen? Woohoo! For those of you who aren't familiar with it, it is for basically the um, Al-Anon version of, of, you know, for teens. So um, I grew up youngest of seven, large family, um, pretty, um, pretty normal family. Everything was pretty happy and, and all that. And uh, I didn't know that my life had been affected by the disease of alcoholism. Um, it didn't come to my attention until um, my sister, who was kind of my, my buffer zone between me and my parents, she went off to college. I was the last one in the, in the crew to stay at home. And I was probably a young teenager by that time. And I started getting into more arguments at the dinner table with my dad. And I would call my sister and I would cry to her and come to find she had found the rooms of Al-Anon. Um, and she would point out to me that possibly the reason that this was happening because he would come home um, from work on an empty stomach, have a highball with my mom, and then proceed to drink a craft of wine between the two of them. And possibly <laughs> my behavior at the dinner table with doing things that he didn't approve of um, and his um, heightened uh, maybe consumption of alcohol would, would ensue the, the, uh, the arguments. I didn't know that, that you know, alcoholism had affected my life. It was very functional. Dinner was on the table every night at 6.30. Um, you know, we had, we had a pretty good life. You know, we had good schools and we had clothing on our backs and, and you know, it was very, you know, good. But I know today that my life had been affected by alcoholism. I know that both of my parents drank every day um, and that, for me, I was affected by the isms. And um, many of you probably know what those are, you know. Um, for me, it had to do with, you know, the codependency, the people-pleasing. Um, I learned from my mom. My mom was a, she was a mom of the 50s, so she kind of grew up with that kind of um, teachings that you do for others instead of yourself. You always put everyone ahead of you. And that's what I learned. You know, I was, I was learning to be mama's little helper. You know, I was helping out at parties. I was making sure that you have what you need. And I was taught, you know, when I said I want to my father, he would say that I was selfish and self-centered. So I was taught never to think for what I wanted for myself. It was, you know, what do you want? And so I learned at a very early age to try to meet other people's expectations. You know, teachers do well in school. Um, you know, be the, the good, um, I was raised in a, in a religious home, and so, you know, try to do what the, the church teaches you and all that stuff. And so 
I think in some ways when I look back, um, the drinking was not really the issue as much as the isms. But I know also today that my mom drank every, you know, every day while she was making dinner and then during dinner. And then she would you know, sit down with my dad in front of the television. And she would pretty much basically you know, drift in and out. <laughs> and I would walk by, and she would keep asking me, did you do your homework? Did you do your homework? And I'd be like, yes. And then if I got an attitude, my dad would say, oh, you know, don't, don't talk to your mother that way. You know, she, she's had a hard day. Well, she probably did. But she also, you know, was probably affected by the, the disease. And I know today that, that also her, her brother died of the disease of alcoholism. And we didn't talk about those things. Like, again, I was the baby of, of seven kids, and there was a 20-year gap between me, me and the oldest. And so there were a lot of things that happened in the family that we didn't talk about. There was kind of those no-talk rules. I don't know if you guys had that experience, but I sure, surely did. And those, to me, are like the isms, you know. There were things that happened. Um, that we just didn't talk about. And I just kind of learned not to ask questions. Um, and so I went into life, you know, trying to please you, make you like me, try to get you to like me. Um, that's how I got my validation, you know? And so, um, so again, when my sister found Al-Anon, she told me about it and thought that it might be something good for me. So I tried my first Alateen meeting here in Burlingame and um, it was such a revelation for me. It was just such a, um, just a godsend, truly, um, because I had people that welcomed me, um, that even saw me in the parking lot and said, oh, are you here for the Alateen meeting? And ushered me in, you know, and welcomed me to coffee afterwards. Just gave me that fellowship right off the bat. And I hadn't had that growing up. I had kind of gotten picked on in school, like around middle school age, and so I kind of felt like I was an outcast. You know, I got picked on by the other girls, and I felt like kind of a ugly duckling with the boys, and, uh, and so when I got into Alateen and got invited to, I got invited pretty shortly on into getting into Alateen um, to be on the NOCAC committee, which is the, basically the big conference for Alateens the whole weekend like this for Alateens, where they have workshops and dances, and it's a big conference, it's a really big deal. Um, and I, well, the beauty of that was the fellowship of like, I didn't have to be popular, they didn't even know me, and they just invited me to be on their committee. And, um, and that just felt really, really nice. Um, and it really helped to build my self-confidence. You know, we say in the closing that, um, you know, we will love you until you can love yourself. And that was really true for me, because that's where I came from because I didn't know who I was when I came in here. And I certainly didn't come into Alateen or Al-Anon looking to find myself. I was looking to stop what was going on at home. You know, I didn't even know it was the drinking. It was just like the arguments. And now I know, you know, the unavailability. My, especially my mom was really emotionally unavailable. Well, actually both of them were. Um, you know, just due to different things for themselves. But they both just didn't have, you know, what I needed. Um, but I know through through the rooms here, they just, you know, they didn't have, they couldn't give what they didn't have, you know. And they didn't know how to get that from themselves. You know, they didn't come from a generation, um, well, they came from a generation that was like kind of to suck it up and suffer, you know. So um, that's kind of what I learned. And, um, and so I came into the rooms at Alateen and then, 
Um, I went into college and I came then transitioned into the rooms of Al-Anon and down here or down in the South Bay. Um, and I found, I found a sponsor in Alateen but then pretty quickly transferred over into to Al-Anon and what a godsend, you know. My sponsor was someone who, um, you know, they say to pick somebody who has what you want. And this woman had serenity. She had peace. And she had this calmness and this love about her that was so, so warm and enveloping. So I chose her to be my sponsor. And I worked the steps with her. And I found a God of my understanding as well. Um, I didn't, I grew up in a, like I said, in a religion um, that I was afraid of. You know, I thought I, you know, if I accidentally stole a pencil or, you know, forgot to give it back or something, you know, I was going to get punished for that. You know, God was going to come down and punish me in some way. And, um, and when I looked inside of myself, you know, when we do our four-step, all I could see was darkness. I didn't love myself because I was so busy loving, you know, trying to get you to approve me. I didn't know what it meant to love myself. I remember someone told me, to thy own self be true. I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> what does it mean to be true to yourself? I had not been raised to do that, you know, to think of myself or, or what I want. And you guys taught me how to do that. Uh, I got into service, and that was the biggest self-esteeming, self-confidence tool that I learned was going into service and building that muscle to be confident. You guys believed in me until I could believe in myself. Um, and, and again, working the steps with a sponsor and looking at myself. What I came to learn is pretty early on, even though I was in the program, I was addicted to alcoholics and drug addicts. Imagine that. <laughs> I grew up in the 70s, and all my brothers and sisters were basically, you know, partying around me. I mean, my sister was the friend to introduce me to, to pot, and they would basically all go down in the basement on Sunday night before Sunday night dinner and smoke pot and, you know, before going to dinner, you know. So that was my normal when I came, you know, in here or into the teenage years. You know, that was normal. I didn't even know there were people out there that didn't party all the time, you know, and, um, and that's the kind of people I chose, too, because that was what, was what was familiar. I liked the bad boys. I liked the, I, I had this, like, fantasy that I was going to find a guy with long hair that was a rock, a rocker, and he was going to be, you know, healthy. <laughs> right? I didn't even know what healthy meant, you know, I just, like, kind of, like, fake it till you make it, right? <laughs> um, so... Yeah, I, I picked a lot of those, and uh, one in particular was a musician, and I know today he was my drug of choice. I was willing to go to any lengths. Um, he lived in San Jose, I lived in, up here in the North Bay, and I would drive down there. I, um, in a way, kind of just um, was, uh, I didn't have a life of my own, put it that way. I mean, I was in college, but I didn't really have a real sense of self, so I was looking to, looking to him to validate me, and any little attention that he would give me, I would take, and oh, let me note that he was 10 years older, I was like 19 at the time, so, um, you know, I, I just wanted that, um, I just had this fantasy of how I thought it was going to be with him, and how, you know, if I gave more, um, he was going to like me, and he was going to love me. Um, and any time, you know, he gave me a little bit of, like, 
what I thought I wanted, you know, I wanted more, you know, and I was willing to go to any lengths. And, um, and that turned out to be a really, you know, downward, downward spiral, spiral for me. Uh, and that went on for about three years. And I gave and I gave and I gave. And then I just didn't have anything more, you know, to give. Um, but the program has taught me through time and through sponsorship and through service, um, it's taught to, to find myself and to um, give to myself, um, to give that validation to myself, you know, by doing service, by um, doing jobs, you know, and, um, and not looking to other people to validate myself, giving myself credit for those things that I do. Um, and I, I'm glad today to say that um, there was a time when, you know, you know, we, you know, split off and became friends and all that stuff. And, but, it, you know, occasionally his name would pop up or an email or whatever. And, you know, I'd get that flutter in my stomach, you know, that kind of like excitement of, oh, maybe it's going to be different this time. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm happy to say that um, today I do not have that reaction with him. And that's because I have a life of my own and I do love myself and I don't need him to validate me. And I, I today am discerning and know what I want. Can you imagine that? <laughs> um, it's like, I don't think anybody comes into Al-Anon hoping to find themselves. I think we all come in to find someone to, you know, teach us how to stop somebody else from hurting themselves and in turn hurting us, right? Um, and I surely had, you know, plenty of the, you know, tragedies of, of family members that have um, this disease, um, one of which is my brother, who we almost lost. Um, he had to have a liver transplant, and I'm happy to say today he is um, sober um, that I know of and uh, not drinking, but, um, you know, that's none of my business. You know, my business is about me. And um, we talked about the serenity prayer earlier, and it brought me back to kind of where I'm at today. It's such a powerful, powerful um, prayer. Um, and so I wanted to share a little something here that I read and and then go from there. This is in our Hope for Today book, page 349. When I feel my serenity being crowded out by fear and anxiety, I break down the serenity into a clear and precise way that cuts through the deluge of my shortcomings. First, I broaden my acceptance to include everything exactly as it is, not only the things I change, or not only the things I cannot change. I look at my entire life through the lens of gratitude, trusting that everything is unfolding exactly as it should. As my sponsor reminds me, it's God planning time, God's planning and timing are perfect. I ask my Harbor to help me to accept exactly as they are and to see the opportunities in my circumstances. Asking God for the courage to change the things I can is dangerous for me at times. So today, um, I am trying to practice the serenity prayer. I, um, as I told you, I, I started making better decisions of people that, that um, I was choosing my life. I am happy to say that I um, did go on to marry a, a wonderful man who is um, not 
luckily, in the disease of alcoholism. Um, but I still have my issues, you know, I still have my disease. Um, and today I'm practicing this serenity prayer. So I'll just share a little bit of where I'm at today. Sorry, running out of time. So the thing that came to mind to me was the courage to change the things I can. And this year I've been dealing with a lot of loss, particularly my job. Um, we had six people, core people in my company that left within six months. And that was really just devastating for me. And I've been saying for quite a while that I had wanted to change jobs, but I've been trusting, saying, I'm going to trust my higher power to tell me, to have that wisdom to know the difference, like, what's my will, what's God's will? And I felt like that was really a sign. And to, courage, you know, to have the courage to change the things I can, to go out there and, and offer myself to new employers was really huge for me. Um, and the difference for me today is that I know my worth. You know, I have confidence in myself and I know my worth, and I don't need you to validate me the way that I did one time. And um, I'm happy to say that I, I, you know, I did apply for a job and I got it and it's a lot more money and the people are a little bit nicer. <laughs> um, and I'm really grateful because you know, I know today you know, what is, I can try and, and identify what's my will versus God's will. Um, and when I know that things happen easily and the doors open easily, that's God's will to me. And that's what happened with jo this job. And it just validates for me that, you know, what I'm worth um, and that I can change the things I can um, and have the wisdom to know the difference. Because I think that's a really, a really hard part for us when we're working the pro program. You know, what's my will? What's God's will? So, um, and in that situation, I'm continually using the tools of the program. And I'm a slogans girl. That was the first thing I, I hooked on to right off the bat. Um, and the one that I'm practicing today is to um, practice progress, not perfection. Because when I came in here, I was so caught up in the perfectionism and worried about whether you're going to like me, whether I was going to do it perfectly, whether I was going to get fired, um, which I never have. But that was always my fear. And so um, I'm, I'm practicing progress, not perfection. And that I'm going to live and learn. You know, I'm going to make mistakes, but I'm going to learn from them and I'm going to go on. And so that I'm not having that paralyzing fear like I did at one time. Um, I think I'm probably running out of time, sorry, um, but we're okay? Okay. I'll just share one last thing, one, you know, last wisdom for me. I, this year, talk about, you know, changing the things I can. I wasn't feeling good about my, this is going to sound weird to you guys all, but um, I wasn't feeling really good about my weight. I had some issues with some some weight. So I did a weight loss program for myself. And, and that was really huge because it was something I wasn't feeling good about myself. And in the past, I would have just ignored it, you know. And it, um, I had to give up sugar and all carbs. And that is really tough to do when you're like trying to eat out and things like that. And it just really brought me empathy because every meal that I, you know, every piece of food that I put in my mouth, I was making a choice. I was making a choice of whether this was, you know, gonna, if I was going to stick on, the, on this diet or not. And, um, and I thought, this is really tough, because like, especially sugar, it's in everything. Um, and I thought, wow, this really brings empathy for me, for what an alcoholic must feel like when 
they go to parties or to social events or whatever, because alcohol is everywhere and it's so tempting, you know? And so it just really brought a, a, you know, a level of empathy for me, the alcoholic. And today I know, you know, my parents did the best that they could and they, you know, had, were a product of their environment. They didn't really know that they had a choice necessarily. Um, and it was very functional, so I don't think they ever felt the need to get help. Um, but this program taught me that I can love them and hate the disease, you know? Um, and I don't have to, to judge that. I can just take what I like and leave the rest. Um, and I'm, I do that with the other people in my life that are affected by this disease. I've learned to have boundaries for myself. I've learned to be more discerning about the people that I invite into my life. Um, because previously, I used to just pick whoever would, you know, give their time to me. And um, I noticed the pattern for me was picking people who were unreliable, that would say one thing and do another. And I'd be devastated. And I'd keep giving a try, keep trying, keep trying. And then I'd be really, really angry and resentful. Um, and now I have kind of a rule for myself, like, okay, I'm going to give this person, you know, because, like, you meet somebody, get really excited. You're like, oh, new friend. This is exciting. Um, but then, you know, they keep being unreliable, canceling, being really late, whatever it is. And, you know, I have a rule for myself or a boundary for myself. I didn't know about boundaries when I got in here. I didn't know I had choices. Um, but the program has taught me that. It's really helped me. And so today, you know, I just have a rule that happens after a certain number of times. You know what? I just kind of step back and I, I stop engaging, you know, or start stop trying, you know, because that was my pattern was always to give and to try and to keep opening that door. And it's like, well, stop stepping into that cage because I'm the one who's creating that behavior, you know. So um, anyway, it goes back to, you know, the serenity. We get to have the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. I can't change other people, can't change the politics, I can't change the traffic, um, but I can have the courage to change the things I can. Um, you know, we get a lot of tools here in the program that can help us to, to do that. And, um, and the wisdom to know the difference. There's a lot of people in here that can, can share their experience, strength, and hope and help us to find that wisdom and to make that connection with our higher power of our understanding. So. I hope that you are finding um, peace and serenity in the program and um, that you keep, come on, keep coming back.